Dear Peter, I'm as far as I've ever been from home. I mean, not home home. It would take a lot more math than I'm willing to do for fun to figure out when this planet orbiting around its sun and that sun within its galaxy is farthest from Gaia orbiting around its sun and the sun moving to and on and on, etc. are or will be furthest from each other. No, Boots, I wasn't asking you to calculate it for me. I need you on navigation. Okay, continue transcript. I'm not the farthest I've ever been from home. Probably. But I'm the farthest I've ever been from home base here on planet. I'm about three days out. I feel like Samwise Gamgee. Every step I take, it's the furthest I've ever been from the Shire. It's mapping week. So I've got seedlings growing back in the greenhouse and an experiment I'm running for Priyanka going on in the lab. See, I told you, even in space, Pri was going to make me do her chem homework. And I'm riding off into the sunset like an old-fashioned western hero in one of those movies Anna used to make us watch. Well, not literally the sunset, since I don't have those. The all-terrain vehicle came down on the ship with me, though that's kind of a stretch. Kinda hard to claim all-terrain when we're dealing with brand new, never-before-seen terrain even if you do have hover capabilities. But there's a nice plateau here that's fairly treeless, so I'm taking that as far as it'll go. There's a couple of streams, but the short-range hover capabilities can deal with those well enough. I got the computers to do some mapping during landing, so I've got some rough images. I'm not sure I could get much farther than what looks like the end of this plateau anyway. It hits the cold side of the planet, and my gear isn't specced for super extreme cold. So I've been driving three days, right? Boots plays me music, we admire the scenery, I take my recordings and gather samples, and for months, every other day at Galaxy Standard 900, bell signs on and make sure I've eaten breakfast. I think it's their lunchtime. I think they like schedules. I think they're a little obsessed with breakfast foods. I'm pretty sure that most important meal of the day thing is a Kellogg cereal propaganda tool. But it's 10.15. Where are they? Whatever. Maybe they slept in. That's fine. Frankly, Peter, I'd encourage it. Sleeping in is a virtue. Timeliness shows some severe, unfortunate character flaws. Sticks up butts should be set on fire. Removed first, but set on fire. Bell's resting. They're lingering over a second waffle in the space station mess hall because they just love breakfast that much. It's good to love things. Like that tree. See that tree, Boots? I love that tree. The way the roots come out of the earth. The purple-orange model of the leaves. Here. Let's go see the tree. Got a letter from Priyanka? She's going through a lot, Peter. And there's not much I can do from here other than run tests, try things, send her my results. Here, I'll read some of the letter to you. Boots, can you... She says, This is the first time in my life I've ever not been able to rely on my mind. 
It's almost like I have to think of it as something separate from me. The things it thinks might not be real. The things it thinks and feels might not be what I think and feel. I don't even know where to start with that. I'm still waiting for the dopamine mimic to flush out of my system and then, well, I guess we see if my hands start shaking. I've been sending her my lab results and I'm halfway through a letter back to her, but I don't know what to say. I guess I don't know how to start either. You know what? I think there's growths on these roots. I wonder if they're fungi, if it's symbiotic or a parasitic. I wonder if it's edible. I, I miss truffles. I wonder if those sextopod six-legged boots. Who installed your profanity filter? That's not even half my job is biology. I'm gonna say the word sex. Oh my god. Wait, you let me say fuck, but not boots. Can you call up your profanity filter settings, please? There you go. I see you, you asshole. Oh, not you, Boots. You're lovely. Wait, why is asshole not in your profanity filter? Whatever. Boots, I thought I went through and disabled this whole segment when I got you in second year. Someone? Yeah. Look, they set a timer on it. Profanity filter to activate upon Gaia Planetary Date. <laughs> ah. Gaia Planetary Date, August Timber 4th. That's... Yeah, okay, asshole, I get it. God, these are kindergartner swears. Butt face. Shit stain. Piss pot. <laughs> oh. Peter sucks. <laughs> and look, he commented something out. Happy birthday, Gwen. Boots, disable your profanity filter. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. You butt face. I miss you too. Good morning, Hartley. Had your breakfast yet? Summers, where have you been? You're like an hour off schedule. Did the station get hijacked by pirates? Did intergalactic war break out? Have pigeons finally reached sentience? We don't have a set schedule. You didn't want one. I definitionally can't be late. You've called in at 900 every single other galactic day for the last three months. Sometimes it's nice to spice things up, don't you think? I'm sorry, but you've purposefully shaped up your entire life to be nothing but unbuttered white rice. I don't believe you. It's butter and rice. But I just got lectured about foul language by my comdroid, so clearly reality is failing me. What? Oh, it's a... Someone set the profanity filter to be reactivated on my birthday. Set it up to respond to all sorts of things. And then I said sextopod. You said what? Sextopod. There are these six-legged creatures I see a lot down here. Your swamp pigs, yes. Your creative naming continues. Yes, my swamp pigs. And I was wondering, since they're foragers, if they go after these fungi I saw. Hexapods. What? Hartley, it's hexapods. Six-legged creatures? That's what they're called. Like a hexagon? Whatever. Sextopods is valid. I... 
Sure. Okay. Um, what? Who are you, and what alien replaced my scoutminder? How are your tests going for Priyanka? Did you isolate anything yet? Uh, only what I already sent her. I tagged three more funky-looking compounds to see if there's something we can work off of for a treatment, but there's a lot more analysis to be done. Has she exhibited any new symptoms? A sudden craving for sardines. Handily, the settlement office had replaced half of her requested spam supplies with canned sardines, so that was a blessing. First time they've ever been a blessing for anyone. I've been helping her with keeping a consistent schedule, eating, sleeping... That's an important part of treating any mood disorder, and what she's going through isn't unlike one. I'd send her my sardines if I had any way to get something off this rock. I left some more tests running back at base, but... Back at base? Where are you? Um, on day three of my mapping mission? Summers, we talked the day before yesterday. Where did you think I was? On a hike? You were... Sorry, I should have checked your schedule more closely. That's right. You bumped the trip out to match with the seasonal cycle. Good thinking. Yeah, they taught me how to think real good in scout school. Most of scout school is teaching you how to follow instructions, and in your case, the instructors failed abhorrently. Aw, how sweet of you to say. No, Sundeep, it's the fourth corridor with the duct issue. If you suspend the coolant there for repairs, I don't know if it's ever going to start up again. Um. <clears throat> Sorry, Hartley, one sec. Go find Demoline. She knows how to fix it without grounding the station. Yes, I know you can't ground the station without destroying it. That's exactly what I was implying. Us. Crashing into some sort of Earth. <clears throat> Apologies, Scott Hartley. I'll mute you next time. What was that about? They figured out where I am. Who figured out what? I thought, when I moved offices, I'd have some time to myself. But, no. Someone linked it to the station message board that I'm here, and now I've fixed three station malfunctions, two paperwork mishaps, and one marital dispute this morning, and the tea kettle. I fixed the tea kettle, but that was for me. Is there something wrong with your station? Nothing atypical. There's always something in need of repair, or diplomacy, or dismantling, and there's smart ways to do repair, and really idiotic ways. Why are they all coming to you? Are you from the space station? I sort of figured they flew you out for this gig. I've been out in the black for a bit. I stopped off on the station a while back, and didn't get around to leaving. I've got sort of a... reputation. Is that what's got you acting so weird today? What? I'm not being weird. <laughs> they said, weirdly? No, it's not any of this. This is just a bunch of people who never figured out how to solve their own problems. That's my entire life. Is it Pre? Did you get more news? No, I... She's been sending you everything she knows. Yeah, but if she asked you to lie to me about that, you'd be contractually obligated to, wouldn't you? Uh, no, actually. Ethically, well, that's an open can of worms, but my contract doesn't say anything about keeping your secrets. Better be careful what I say, then. <laughs> so, if it's not something new about Pri, what's bothering you? Priyanka's not enough? Summers, did the mess hall stop serving your favorite croissant? Did someone steal the good spinny chair? I haven't heard from Mikhail in three days. Oh. There is a big storm on its way. 
He told me that he could see it coming. See the skies darkening, the birds all flying inland for as much as anything is inland on his moon. And then his comm didn't activate next time I was meant to call in. He's probably just damp and miserable and refusing to go outside to fix his comm equipment. No, the comm equipment at the base is still registering the pings. It's just his personal comm that's down. You had him construct the emergency beacon too, right? Of course. Priyanka has one too. <gasps> and I thought I was special. You're something, Hartley. Then there's nothing more either of us can do for him, right? Either he's okay, or he's not. I don't like that. You might be in the wrong line of business. I like to solve things. I don't like to wait. I used to spend a lot of time in waiting rooms. You learn how. Boots and I found a cool tree. It's got fungi on the roots. I took some samples. Please tell me you didn't try to eat them. I've got to test them first. You are the only scout I've ever met with such an uncontrollable desire to lick everything you see. Gotta explore the world with all your senses. Also, this, it turns out, is definitely a potato planet. And I am not sure that's a lifestyle I can happily inflict upon myself. What are your coordinates? What, you gonna write my survey report for me? Because that would be great! No, I'm making a map. In case of emergency, I can help situate you. Direct you. Is it color-coded? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, of course. 346 by 89. Where are you... Oh. Of course. Of course, you're heading directly to the edge of the livable region. The schedule said routine mapping excursion, and you went... Hmm. What is literally the most extreme location we could head to? Have you got it appropriately calculated where your vehicle is going to shut down in the freezing temps and never move again? I also brought a jacket. I would have gone to the hot side instead, but I hate gas masks. There's enough weird fumes over on that side that I knew if I didn't wear one, you'd freak out at me, and also you'd be right too. Did you just admit that I'm right sometimes? Everyone's right sometimes. Even bureaucratic desk jockeys. Flatterer. What's that? Just... checking Mikhail's line again. I wish they gave us more feeds on you guys. I don't understand how I'm expected to do this work with nothing but a comm line. Live data streams are expensive. Expense is not a valid prioritization when making decisions about individuals' lives and safety. We signed a contract. We signed on for this. I am aware. What do you do if Mikhail doesn't call back? You don't know the protocols for a lost scout? I thought you said you read everything. I... I had to skip a couple classes. And I figured if it came to that, it wouldn't really matter to me. Just to me? And you didn't even expect someone to be here to care. You know, I think Boots needs a bedtime story. What? I tell Boots bedtime stories every night. He's flashing his little sad light. I think he needs one. Uh, do you need me to sign off? No, you stay on. Okay. <clears throat>
Once upon a time, a fish girl traded her voice for human feet. Her own human feet and legs so she could walk. Not to mount on her mantle or something. Sorry if it was unclear. Uh... You're making me nervous. Are you sure you don't want me to sign off? No, stay. Okay, we used to tell this one at camp, back on Gaia. There are a lot of different endings. The girl had fallen in love, and her love lived on the land, up in the air. So she made a deal with a sea witch. Her voice, her legs. If she won her lover's hand, she could have her legs and lungs and stay forever. Until then, her voice would be silent, and her borrowed feet would feel like knives whenever she walked. But her lover fell in love with another woman. And so the fish girl's sisters swam up to the surface to give her a knife. The sea witch promised if she killed her rival, she could have her lover and the pain would go away. Is this a sad story? Listen and find out. Her feet ached, so she used a cane to lighten their load. But she could still go quiet enough to sneak into her lover's bedchamber and stand there with the knife. Love is pain, the sea witch had promised. Devotion calls for blood. And so the fish girl stood there, watching them sleep, weighing her life against another's, her love against their peace. Then she pocketed the knife and walked away and left them there, breathing quiet in what would be their marriage bed. When she had first poked her head above the waves, it hadn't been the handsome biped she'd fallen for, It was the way the hills rolled, golden in the sun. It was the clouds chasing each other across the sky, like sea foam you could never reach. She wakes the next morning alone in a damp field to fog thick enough to taste on her tongue. Her breath whistles out, swirls water droplets, and she reaches out a hand to touch the descended sky. Her feet will ache all her life, but after that morning... They ache just a little bit less. Love is pain, says the old man who gives her a ride on his hay wagon when she smiles too wide at sunrises. In the back of the wagon, she uses her sister's knife to turn a reed into a pipe. She cannot speak, but she still has lungs. It's pain, says the innkeeper with pity when she hobbles to a seat pipe in hand. She's never seen the stars before, not the way they shine so bright from the back garden of this little isolated inn. After she plays a few songs for Traveler's Pennies, she goes out and lingers out in the garden until the moon rises. At least you are beautiful, soothes the country healer who looks over her undamaged feet. She had danced for her lover to win him and swallowed through the pain, breathed deep. She goes down to caves and rocky shores. Sometimes she meets her sisters there. Mouths filled with water cannot speak above the sea. So she drops into the waves and they sing for her, old songs, and she steals breaths of air between the stanzas. She can drown now. She opens her eyes to the salt and the brine. Some nights she dreams of warm water, of fish like jewels under the waves, She dreams of a body that does not feel borrowed. Some nights she wakes, gasping, 
coughing up black water that never comes. There is something lying heavy on her chest, and there always will be. The shadow plays she makes on the walls of the taverns waver and wriggle like on the sea caves of childhood, but not because of the water's lap and current. This firelight that flickers over her hands. When she has limped and hitched rides so far that no one knows the name of her lover's home, she meets a traveling blacksmith on the road with an extra seat in his cart and an ear for music. He never asks her to dance for him, and she never does. She drops messages and bottles to her sisters at every river and coastline they come to, and sometimes she finds bottles washed up on the shore just for her. They travel on. When she breathes these days, her lungs fill with air. The clouds swirl above them, like sea foam you can never reach. Except one day she does reach it, bouncing around in the back of her blacksmith's cart, signing jokes to him in between helping to tune his guitar. They crest a high mountain pass and into the belly of a cloud. Her breath whistles out, swirls water droplets, and she reaches out a hand to touch the sky. Somewhere in the ocean, a sea witch thinks she has won. When the girl walks, she hobbles. Her voice was the sunken treasure of her father's loveliest daughter, and so when they tell her story, they say she has been robbed. They say she has been stolen. She cannot win it back, the high, sweet voice of a child who had never blistered her shoulders red with sun, who had never made a barroom rise to its feet to sing along with her strumming fingers. She cannot ever sing again like a girl who has not held a dagger over two sleeping lovers and decided to spare them. She decided not to wither. She decided to walk on knives for the rest of her life. She cannot win it back, but even if she could, she knows she would not sound the same. Under the water, they call her story a tragedy and she rests her aching feet beside the warming hearth. With every new ridge climbed, new river forded, new night sky met, her feet ache a little less. They call her a tragedy, but the blacksmith's donkey is warm and contrary on cold mornings. The blacksmith's shoulder is warm under her cheek. Her feet will always hurt. She has cut out so many parts of herself traded them up, one twisted promises back, and then twisted them herself. She lives with so many curses under her skin, but she lives. They call her story immoral, and maybe it is. When she breathes, her lungs fill. When she walks, the earth holds her up. There is sun, and there is light, and she can catch it in her hands. This is love. Shit. What? Someone's coming through on my other line. Nguyen, you're not making any sense. Calm down. All right, take a breath. Another. Now repeat what you just said to me. Who have you got on board as mechanic? Susie? Good. I'm glad you let Franco go, even if he was your mom's favorite cousin. Can Suze do a quick quality check on your fuel? You came through Norbert's clothes, right? Norbert does skim sometimes. 
And patch me your readings. I'll see what I can do. What was that? Mm, sorry, I meant to mute. A ship out in 078H Sector's engine is malfunctioning. Why are they contacting a scoutminder about it? Nguyen knows my work. And I've taken a few emergency dispatch shifts for Yasmin when her kids get sick. It's a small world out here. And he knew you'd pick up. Well, why wouldn't I? It's just a routine malfunction? From what you were saying, it seemed like they were really freaked. Wouldn't you be if you dropped out of hyperspeed? I mean, it's not uncommon. It'll happen about 0.1% of the time to an average ship in good condition, and... Nguyen's ship... Well, even if it is in better condition now that Susie's aboard, it's never been quite seaworthy. But? He's... Their sensors went haywire for a few seconds with some sort of broadband radio burst, and now he says it's like they're being dragged backwards. Even though there's nothing out there. But Nguyen's always been fanciful when he's frazzled. He's got a good first mate, though. They'll calm him down. What if it's not a malfunction? What if it's not the ship? Did he send you a recording of the radio burst? It's Nguyen. He sent me everything. Except the engine readings. It just looks like the sensors malfunctioned. Just about three seconds long, eight spikes that last less than a millisecond, all polarized, ranging from 1500 megahertz all the way down to 400. If it wasn't a malfunction, it would be higher intensity than the sensors have range to measure. Huh. Huh what? That sounds like a fast radio burst. Their polarized signals extremely energetic at their source. There's really nothing there? In the star maps? Are you seeing anything that might have a significant gravity well? Something that might be pulling them in? Nothing. And... Sue's checked the fuel, and I trust them. They should be moving. Susie's going over the rest of the engine now, but they're only a day out of port, and I know they did a solid tune-up before they left. Susie throws a mean tantrum if you don't let them triple-check their work. So they're your sort of person. They're a good mechanic. But it's probably just bad fuel from Norbert's. I mean, they're probably fine. Then what are you looking up? Star maps for the area. He's right. There's nothing there. It's the engines or the fuel. Uh, I could think of three other things off the top of my head that it could be. Rogue black hole, uh... Is one of those things aliens? No, actually. Four, if you add aliens. It's probably just the engine. It's probably the dumbass coil these eagle models have got. I... (laughs) One sec. Hi, Susie. You're... Okay, so you checked the fuel. Did you check... Okay. Yes, I... Suze, I'm not doubting you. I'm doubting your predecessor. I saw him try to stick some solder down with a piece of used chewing gum once, and he expected me to be impressed by that astropunk movie bullshit. Okay. Okay. You checked... Okay, and then... Yeah. Yeah, I see your readings. Let me know if you find anything. What are you thinking, Gwen? What, you're admitting I can think? Hartley. Rogue black hole? What were the other two things? I kind of pulled that number out of my ass. But if I had to say two more things, uh... A really old neutron star is the immediate go-to for an invisible gravity well that's not a black hole? 
And I guess if that was an FRB, fast radio burst, you'd want to put strange stars on the list. Don't neutron stars have incredibly powerful magnetic fields? As in, an entire sector of industrial research is magnetic mining to try to harness that as a next-generation energy source? Yeah, when they're young and spinning several hundred times a second. But then billions of years pass and they lose that angular momentum, then there's nothing to produce the magnetic field. No fusion, so no new heat, and they cool off. Without an accretion disk, you just get... a ghost. Gravity, and not much else. 078H doesn't see a lot of traffic. What? They're out in the far reaches, going between two stations that rarely have direct transit between them. They had a passenger with a wad of cash who wanted to get somewhere fast. If they're stuck in a neutron star's gravity well, that's... Their engines won't do it. And they don't have the funds to get someone with a better ship to descend into the well to rescue them. That's not... But it might not be. That was one of three possibilities that I came up with in all of five seconds. Can you get them to do a reading for me? What do you need? Just a ballpark estimate of the strength of the gravity well they're looking at. How many solar masses? They could probably work it out in reverse from assuming that the engines and fuel are good. How much force they're exerting versus how much they're going backwards? I'll ask Susie. Now I guess we wait. Yeah, I did say I was good at it. Boots, open document draft three. Okay, so this book is way less romantic than I was expecting. Everyone is bonkers. The skinny one? She's so nasty. I love her. Also, it's always fun to read about what people thought space travel was going to be like hundreds of years ago. Namely, really fast. Anyway, they just fought the big bone monster. I'm actually really looking forward to reading more. Pri, I'm really thrilled you think you found a way to neutralize the toxin. If what you've got binds as well as we think it does to those transmitters, then hopefully the toxin won't be able to take over those pathways and do the same damage to new arrivals. I took all your recipes, and I'm trying to get them into a state that's stable enough to be distributed in pill form. But, worst case, when your settlers land, you can just cook up potions for everybody like an old witch. I hope this hasn't all been some massive ruse to get your planet declared uninhabitable so you can have it all to yourself. Sorry, joke. I don't think it was a good joke, but hey, maybe I'm channeling Peter. I am genuinely glad you figured out how to keep this from affecting your settlers. For all your planning to keep a continent's distance between you and them as often as you can, I know their safety and health is important to you. And I know you've stopped mentioning it, but I imagine you haven't stopped working on it. I know I haven't, but I haven't been able to see any obvious path on how to reverse the damage the toxin did to you. I'll keep looking, Pri. I've got some possibilities running back at the lab even now, but there's a possibility you're going to have to live with this always. I know you know that. I don't know why I'm... I know you know that's a possibility, but I wanted to say it aloud. In case you're afraid of starting that conversation if you want to talk. You know I've had my downs. 
Maybe you don't know about the tricks I have for getting out of them, but I'm happy to talk about any of it. And Anna's really private about this, so I don't bring it up, but she gave me blanket permission to talk about it if I ever thought it would help somebody. (laughs) Blanket orders, I should say. But she's been struggling with bipolar disorder since she was a kid. Manic episodes, depressive ones. Mom and Dad found good meds for her eventually, and that helped, but it's still something she deals with every day. Something she has to prepare for and work with. She's got a lot of thoughts on it, and a lot of tricks and workarounds, if you think that might help you with the things you're going through. And if we can't find any treatments to reverse the damage, we can start looking at ways to stabilize it, to shore things up. I've got a few ideas running back at... Four solar masses. Boots and recording. Four? With an error margin of about a quarter of a solar mass, factoring estimates and the standard deviation from the readings... Well, the good news is that it definitely isn't a neutron star. They don't form over two solar masses. The theoretical limit is 2.1 something, but I don't think any have been seen over 2.01. Huh. What? We really might be looking at a strange star. A strange star? I don't see how calling it strange helps anything. If they can't see anything, how can there be a star there, however strange it is? I promise they looked out the windows. No, strange star is literally a technical term. It's a type of quark star made of strange matter. They're like a neutron star, but without... And, okay, this is only theoretical. But nobody can really agree on what their electromagnetic fields would look like. Which... Which means there's a possibility that there would be effectively none. Or at least too weak for sensors to pick up. Four solar masses is too big to be a neutron star, but stellar black holes are five to ten solar masses, and usually on the ten side. Black hole evaporation doesn't happen nearly fast enough to get rid of that much mass. Aren't you the encyclopedia? Strange stars are also one of the leading theories for the origins of FRBs. They'd form in a supernova, with a core too big to be a neutron star and too small to be a black hole. You get something, like, kilometers across dense enough that atoms can't even form. Just quark soup and a massive gravitational well. Maybe no electromagnetic fields. And then anything destabilizing the internal tectonics would cause an intense single pulse of radio waves over in a few seconds. It could be what sent the signal and what's pulling them in. Huh. How would they be able to tell? Have them look for the remnants of a supernova? Any scattered gas? And... uh, FRBs usually have a point source. If they can pinpoint the location of the radio burst to the center of the gravity well, I think they might be good. Nguyen, do you copy? Okay, I need to see if you can figure out the origin of the signal that kicked you out of hyperspace. Yeah, set Garrison on that. And then, can you put Susie on? Okay, Suze, can you take the model of where your computers think your engine should have taken you by now and reverse figure out where the gravity well must be in order for you to be where you are now? Yeah, use the sim package to build it up. I think you can reroute the nav to help run it too. You got that? Roger, Suze. No, please don't put Nguyen back on. I don't know who gave that kid a ship and why, but they were an optimist, whoever they were. Thank God he's got Susie. I like being an optimist. 
I'm actually starting to feel very optimistic about this whole thing. Really? Because they can't get out of the well, if that's what it is. They've been trying, and their engine's not up to it. Have them get to some sort of orbital equilibrium. Enough that it doesn't keep pulling them in. And what, live there forever? A few months, at best. Here comes the optimism. This is a strange star, Belle. Yes, yes, it's interesting, but- No, seriously. Do you understand what this means if they found a strange star? A clean recording of an FRB combined with that exact gravity well is going to be more than enough to get people to flock there just to see. Universities. The sort of universities that have money. There was an expedition to Del Oro two decades ago because three scientists thought they pinned down the location of an FRB to a neutron star, and they've had a station set up there ever since just in case it does something interesting again. And this? This is... They're coming, I promise you. Even if the FRB doesn't match the exact center of gravity, they'll still probably come. And if it does, they're going to build research stations in orbit and fight over placement on them. They found something that fundamentally implies the existence of a type of matter that doesn't exist literally anywhere else and that we don't know how to produce in laboratory conditions. People could study a type of matter expected to have been present microseconds after the universe was created. It's... really cool. And if people send ships, Nguyen and his crew are going to be able to hitch a ride on one of them. That's the dream. Nguyen, what did you... Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. We, We think we know what's happening. You're stuck in the gravity well of a strange star. The bad news is, your ship isn't designed to get out of this gravity well and you're going to get stuck here. The good news is, you maybe just proved that a theoretical type of star isn't theoretical, and a research station is probably going to be set up within a few months. You'll be able to grab a ride from there. There we go, FRB location and gravity well matched. I'll contact some of my contacts, get the process started. Thank you. A victory on the back of too many far-out astronomy documentaries as a child. Is there such a thing as too many? (laughs) Yes, trust me, and ask anyone who knew me, there is. Peter used to have to drag me out of the house. Oh, I assumed you two met in scout school. No, Peter's why I went to scout school. We were childhood friends. He was always... (laughs) You know, the reason everything happened. That's a thought. What? Astronomy documentaries. That kids are gonna watch? If you... If we... If Nguyen and Susie just found the first one, we're going to be in them. (laughs) And I hit the end of the plateau. The hover is good for crossing rivers, but... Can't help me with a cliff. Careful of the edge. Oh my god. Yes, I'll try not to fall off. But I want to... Hartley? I'm still 50 miles from the no-go zone. Easy. But... I can see it from up here. The edge, where life just stops. The ground's dark. Except where there's ice. And it just goes on forever.
felt. It's beautiful. And everywhere the light touches belongs to the settlement office. <laughs> oh my god, Summers. I... shit. What? Another emergency? What are you, the local first responder? No. It's Mikhail. This episode of Second Star to the Left was written by E. Jade Lomax and V. Cetus and directed and edited by Rachel Kellum. Gwendolyn Hartley was played by Ashani Kanitkar. Belle Summers was played by Joran Boss. Original music was composed and recorded by Adam Rubin and Joran Boss. Second Star to the Left was created by E. Jade Lomax and Aisha Farah. 